Jesus, we do believe uh, in your Holy Spirit. Uh, we believe that he's active and present in this room. We believe he's active and present in our hearts. And even this minute, I'll take a, a moment to pray for the women and the children in the building just a few blocks south of us on the rise. And I pray that even, even this moment, in whatever way your Holy Spirit does this, would you um, let them know of your love for them? Would you let those women know they're loved by you? Would you let those children know they're loved by you? We don't know how you do that. We don't know how you move in the hearts of people all the time. We don't understand it. But we know you do, and we know you do often in response to us asking. So we're asking you to move in their hearts. And we ask this all uh, in the name of Jesus. Amen. One of the things, uh, put this slide out there that says King Jesus. One of the things... Um, of course, Jesus talks a lot about a kingdom, and he talks about uh, the kingdom of God and things like that. So I thought I'd just just remind you what a king puts on his head, all right? And there's a reason I'm doing this. Okay, this is what a king puts on his head, all right, a crown. And when a king puts this on his head, it means ultimate authority, ultimate power, and if you're in his kingdom, you do what the king says. All right? This is what is supposed to go on Jesus' head. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, then this is what goes on Jesus' head. The problem is sometimes, for those of us who are Christians, even those of us who have been Christians for years, we put different things on Jesus' head. All right? Head. All right? Sometimes he puts this on his head. All right? Because... If we're honest, we want Jesus to do things for us. You know, we ask, we try to be good people. I'm not going to put this on. I'd feel really stupid if I did. But but no, but sometimes we put this on, and, and Jesus becomes, yeah, we worship him, but we really worship him for what he does for us. And then there's times where uh, Krispy Kreme, this is what we put on Jesus' head. Not, not the donut man, but we want him to serve us. He, he should be taking care of us, shouldn't he? Shouldn't he give us what we want? Shouldn't we, if we ask things, shouldn't he do this for us? And so sometimes we want Jesus to put this on his head. None of us would ever admit this, but there's times we just want him to kind of do things for us. We'd love for him to come to our table and just wait on us, just do what we want. Sometimes we want, and this is, I've had to steal my kid's uh, dress-up thing. Sometimes he just comes to put out fires for us, and this is what we place on his head. Because we just need him when things are bad, and oh, when things are bad, and then when things are okay, or at least we think are okay, we can live life on our own. But just a reminder, and there's a reason I'm saying this today, with what we're talking about, that this is what Jesus says, and this is what the Bible says that goes on Jesus' head. And if you think Jesus is your, and again, none of us admit it this way, but if he's your Santa Claus, if he's your servant, if he's your fireman, if he's your therapist, you don't have to obey any of those people. You don't have to necessarily obey the firemen, Santa Claus, but you have to obey a king. So when Jesus, if we, when we say Jesus is the king and Jesus talks about his kingdom, he doesn't give options as to not do what he says. So I'm, I'm saying that because he talks about the kingdom, and what we've been doing the last few weeks here is a series from the book of Mark called Seeing Jesus. 
In the opening part of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus talks about uh, the kingdom of God is here, it's near. It's, it, and he keeps talking about this phrase, and the people who heard that knew that he meant something quite unique was going on. Because they understood that when the king, the, a king is present, things change. And when a king is present, you listen to his word and what he, he, what he says you do. So uh, in, the, in the book of Mark, we've been looking at Jesus. And I've been saying to people, taking a fresh look at Jesus, trying to get a, a better understanding of who he is, a newer understanding of what he is. Not new, like different, but sometimes, like I said, our culture is kind of, and we've bought into different versions of Jesus. But Jesus is the king. And I said before that Mark was written by a man named John Mark, who heard all these stories about Jesus, most likely from Peter, because they traveled together for 30 years after Jesus' resurrection. He wrote this, and the first recipients were most likely the Christians in Rome, who were wrestling with, they had a king, Caesar, but yet they're told Jesus is the king, and they're wrestling with, what is it like to live where I'm supposed to obey King Jesus, but I live in a culture where there's other political powers, and there were struggles, and there were tensions. And so they're trying to figure out, what does it mean to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, a follower of King Jesus, in a culture where there's other authorities and powers over me? So, uh, and I've, I'll, I've used some of these words before. It's, it, when you read the Gospel of Mark, any Gospel, you find out Jesus is... He's explosive, he's controversial, he's confrontational, he's supernatural. He's anything but uh, a traveling poet. He's quite explosive at times. And he's always talking about the kingdom. And the implication is, he's the king. So this particular part of what we're looking at today is uh, a, part, a, a chapter 4 where he tells stories. In the Bible, they're called parables. We call them parables. Let me zoom over here. So chapter 4 is Jesus teaching in parables, and he's, the parables are when he's saying, the kingdom of God is like. He's trying to help people understand, this is what it's like. This is what I mean. And Jesus was a really good storyteller. He told stories all the time, but parables were stories that he used to help people understand kind of really what, what is true about God and what, is, what does it mean that Jesus is the king? So chapter 4, when Jesus starts telling some of these parables. So up until this point, Jesus has been casting out demons, healing people, getting into confrontation with the Pharisees. The Pharisees decide they want to kill him because he healed somebody on the wrong day and it wasn't, didn't fit into the religious system. So all these things have already been kind of unpacked. That Jesus is controversial, he's powerful, he's supernatural, and then... Uh, we start then in chapter 4, Mark starts talking about that Jesus just, now he's just teaching. And he tells three different parables, three different stories, all about seeds. And again, it's all about this is what the kingdom of God is like. So he's trying to help ordinary people, because he's talking to an audience like us of ordinary people, trying to help them understand what does faith look like? What does it mean to be ruled by King Jesus? Because we are people who are, most of us, I think, are American citizens, but we're ruled by King Jesus. And how do we live that kind of life? So let me just read. I'll start off. I'm going to read uh, chapter 4 and read part, the opening part of it, the first parable. And we'll talk about 
kind of the question of what does it mean to be a follower of King Jesus, all right? Once again, Jesus, Mark chapter 4, verse 1, once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. The story goes this way. Listen. So this is, these are the words of Jesus standing in a boat with a large crowd on the shore listening to him. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across the field, some of the seed fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rocks. The seed sprouted quickly, but the soil was shallow and the plant soon wilted under the hot sun. And since it didn't have any deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. So other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. That's a phrase Jesus repeated quite often. Anybody with ears to hear should listen and understand. Later, when Jesus was alone with his 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. He replied, you're permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so the scriptures might be fulfilled. So when they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Now, let me stop right there. Jesus is not saying I'm intentionally being confusing so they don't understand it. It's a game I'm playing with them. What he's saying is those who have already, which already we had seen in the Gospel of Mark, those who are hostile and hard-hearted toward me aren't going to understand what I'm saying. But those who are soft-hearted and are open to learn what I'm saying, they will hear me. So Jesus isn't saying I'm trying to be confusing, I'm trying to speak over their heads, because it was the ordinary people that connected with what Jesus was saying. It was the religious elite who Jesus even said had hard, calloused hearts kind of equivalent to hard, dry soil, they weren't going to understand it. So Jesus isn't saying, I'm trying to confuse them. He's saying, those who want to hear will hear. Those who don't want to hear won't hear. Then, then Jesus says to them, so if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? And then he explains it to them. The farmer plants the seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word to produce a harvest of 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as has been planted. Then Jesus asked them, would anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket or on a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on sand where its light will shine. For everything that is hidden will be brought out to the open, and every secret will be brought out to light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And he keeps talking about listening. Pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you'll be given and you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, 
even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. So it's like he's telling this story about this farmer that's throwing seed around. Some falls on rocky soil. Some falls on kind of bad soil or weedy soil. And then some falls on good soil. And he's trying to help them understand. And maybe they're kind of trying to say. And then he explains it to them. And one thing I want to, again, where Jesus is king, one thing that's true. There's a couple things I want to note from this passage. First thing is this. Um, put it up there. Everybody can recognize God's voice. All these people, whether it's bad soil, hard soil, weedy soil, he says they all heard the word. They all heard God. Not all of it produced fruit, but everybody hears. Everybody can recognize God's voice. And I would say this is true universally around the world, every single human being can hear the voice of God. And you might say, wait a minute, other countries, they aren't Christian, they're what are Buddhist or Muslim. Universally around the world, I believe people can hear and recognize the voice of God. I think God has figured out how to do that in the, through the, open, what the, the new and living way that Jesus opened up in the world. So you can recognize God's voice. One of the bi- baseline assumptions that, that we make at Exodus is that you can hear God's voice. You can hear what he's saying to you, you can have a conversation with him. And again, there's what I've said before, that kind of turns on the weird meter for people. I, I'm not saying we're trying to be weird or saying, oh, I heard God tell me to do this. But there are times where I do believe many times where God tells us things and communicates to us. So you can recognize God's voice. It may be a small kind of internal prompting. It may be a whisper. As far as I know, none, none of us have heard audible voices of God or seen audible or seen visual skywriting in heaven or hands writing on walls. But we can hear God when God says to you simple things about what you're supposed to do next in a, in a relationship or in your marriage or what you're supposed to do with your money or what you're supposed to do with your time. Very practical ways. And the Bible is full of times where God tells ordinary people like you and me to do things that would push them because God told them, whether it was Abraham leaving his country, Gideon leading an army, or Mary believing that her pregnancy was going to be from God. The Bible is full of ordinary people, ordinary people like us, who God told things to, and they responded to what he was saying. Now, what what this parable is saying, though, is everybody hears, but some of the the seed doesn't take root. And sometimes God may have said something to you, and I'm guessing that I know it's true with me. There's times God said things and you don't carry it through. And the passage says that's because it gets choked out by desires you have or money or wealth. Because it's like, well, if I do that, it might hurt me financially. If I give, this to, if I give money to that person, if I give money to that ministry, um, so God may have said, told you to do something, and it may have to do with your money, your time. It may have to do with making right something that you did wrong. You wronged somebody. And what, he's, what Jesus says is, God's always talking to people, but there are some that hear what God said, and then they ignore it. So you can hear and ignore God. You can hear and ignore what God's asking you to do. Go to that next slide, Aaron. You can hear and ignore. So there are some seed that fell on the rocky soil, some on bad soil. And you can hear and ignore. Now, here's why. And here's what I want to. 
here's what happens. Let's say this circle represents your comfort zone. So as long as God speaks in that little circle, as long as he speaks to you in your comfort zone, it's not going to stretch you relationally, it's not going to stretch you financially, it's not going to stretch you in terms of any deep issue in your heart. As long as God speaks to you right there, yeah, you're going to obey, you're going to follow him. The problem is God has a really significant knack for speaking over here and over there and over there and over there. He has a big way of speaking outside of your comfort zone and my comfort zone. He asks us to do things that we don't want to do. I mean, even, uh, even there's times, and I'm, I'm sure many of you have been the same way, there's times where I feel like I'm supposed to give, or in this case our church is giving money away, and sometimes it's money giving money away when the money in the pot isn't as plenteous as you want it to be. So I can easily give money away when I have an abundance of money, which isn't often, but when I have more, it's, li- it's fun to give away. But if God says to me to give away money when my bank account balance is kind of fluttering at the lo- you know, water level, that's outside my comfort zone. I'd really rather Jesus wait to tell me that till I have more. But what Jesus is saying is life in the kingdom, when you follow him as the king, whether or not he speaks in your comfort zone or outside of your comfort zone, he's still the king. And you do what he asks you to do. And so he's telling these people, those who hear what I have to say and respond to what I have to say produce 30, 60, and 100 times fruit. So you can hear and ignore, but you can also hear and respond. So Jesus is telling this group of people, these ordinary people, you can all hear the voice of God. Some of you will ignore the voice of God. And off to the side of the Pharisees and others who have walked away because They've said what Jesus said was too hard for them. But you can also hear and respond to God. Small ways, big ways. God may ask you to have a conversation with somebody. It's a hard conversation. I, I just had this. This has been coming up with me more lately, but I, I uh, and I'm not pushing it because I'm a pastor either. I had a plumber at my house this week. Um, and. What he was trying to do wasn't working because something was wrong with what we were trying to do. I was, and I just said to him, I said, this is what my whole, I said, sometimes life is just like this. What you want to get done, it doesn't, life doesn't cooperate. And I was just kind of being kind of uh, humorously sarcastic as I was paying $100 an hour to this plumber. And he said, yeah, that's kind of what life is like sometimes. And then I thought, I could make a real good spiritual transition here. And I thought, no, that'd be kind of cheesy. But I felt like God was saying, no, just bring it up. And I said, you know what? I said, I'm a pastor. And I said, I, I realize that's really what the Christian life is about. And he goes, man, you got a sermon there. I mean, he kind of jumped right in with me. you got a sermon there. That's exactly what the Christian life is like. And then he started telling me, I, I, I kind of just dropped it. But then he started talking about, yeah, I used to go to church. I was in a Bible study, blah, blah, blah. My wife and I are divorced now, blah, blah, blah. I haven't gone to church for years. But it was all, I mean, I, and I was kind of wrestling with whether you should mention church or Jesus, but I, I thought, well, I, I'll mention it. I don't know if there's going to be fruit from that, but it wasn't comfortable for me. I don't like telling people I'm a pastor. 
I usually try to avoid it because there's too many weird stereotypes. Just like you may not like telling people you're a Christian. Of course, you don't, you're not ashamed of it, but you know there's all kinds of stereotypes that come with that. So there's, there's been times where I feel like God's wanted me to say things of a spiritual nature that felt awkward or weird or maybe staged, but I know it's God. And there's times where I haven't said things that I should have said. But Jesus said, you know, there are some they're going to hear and ignore, and the reason they ignore often is because of fear, money. These are the things Jesus said. Um, the pressures of life. He even said when there's problems or persecution happens, then you stop doing what God wants you to do. Some of you may have had things that, you've, that you believe God's told you to do that you have not carried through on because you've hit a problem or somebody maybe made fun of you or mocked you or challenged you. And Jesus said, no, you can hear and respond and keep doing what I've asked you to do. And this is what life's like in the kingdom. This is, life, this is what life is like with King Jesus. Now, so when I say hear and respond, you might say, well, how do I hear? And how? Well, everybody get out your phones if you have one. I'm sure um, if you have one. It wasn't a dumb statement. Everybody has a phone. Uh, I want to hear how many bars some of you have. Just shout it out. Who has? Anybody have five bars? Anybody have less than three? All right. All right. We're, we're a phone-obsessed society, and we're obsessed with having good receptivity. When I'm at my house or certain places, I have, like, a bar, and it frustrates me because the Internet is really slow. And blah, 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 blah. But hearing and responding is really a function of spiritual receptivity. So you might say, well, how do I... How do I increase my bars? How do I increase my receptivity with hearing the voice of God so I can respond? Well, the Bible tells us that's why we do things like we practice habits of prayer or Bible reading or sometimes fasting or gathering together to sing and to worship. It's not because we're trying to simply kind of check off the boxes of what we're supposed to do to make God happy with us. It's we're putting ourselves in a situation where we have maximum number of bars to hear God. That's why we do those things. You, we don't show up to church or read my Bible or pray or give money or do other spiritual. I don't do those things, and I hope you don't either. I hope you don't do them because you think you're winning points with God. You do it because you're, you're putting yourself in a situation where you have the maximum number of bars and the most receptivity to God. Now, I'll finish uh, with two other shorter parables that Jesus says it's still about the seed, but it relates to this. Because you might say, well, okay, this is all about hearing and responding. It's about being obedient. Yes, it is about being obedient. But what's frustrating at times being obedient is it doesn't always make sense. Because the next parable Jesus says, go to the next slide there. The next parable Jesus talks about is, well, there's a farmer. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who plants seed. So he sows a seed and he plants it. And then what does the farmer do? He waits. I mean, yeah, he might water it and things like that, but does the farmer have any impact over how fast the seed grows for the most part? Not really. And it says even though the farmer doesn't understand what's happening underground, he does what he has to do. He's somewhat passive at that point. That sooner or later, fruit appears. I'm not a farmer. I don't think I've ever grown anything. I try to grow grass seed, and that doesn't always work that well. 
But it was interesting. I was I was looking up this week. I was trying to f- I was looking up how long it takes for certain seeds to germinate. Wheat takes seven to eight months. Corn takes two to three months. My favorite fruit, raspberries, takes four to seven weeks. Uh, apple, an apple tree takes six to ten years to develop fruit. There's actually a tree in Sri Lanka called the Talapat palm tree. It bears fruit once in its lifetime, and that's usually after 30 years. <laughs> it's funny, when I was Googling, how long does it take a seed to germinate? Guess what the most common responses were about? Marijuana. <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, what? What is that? Uh, cannabis? Oh, oh th- these are people asking questions about how long it's going to take them to plant a marijuana. L- you know, but, and, and for those of you who want to know that, that is uh, <laughs> three to six months, but you can speed it up with certain processes. I had never done that. I really <laughs> haven't. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting. I was like, all I did was how long till seed germinates, and it was like, cannabis, cannabis, cannabis. Cilantro, basil, and dill take four to seven days. So you might see, well, why does this fit the hearing God? One of the frustrations of hearing God is it doesn't always make sense because you think, well, I did what God told me to do, and nothing's happening. I did what God told me to do, but nothing's changed in my marriage. I did God what ta- God told me to do, but my money still is in an awful situation. I did what God told me to do, but this is still in a bad situation. So, but you have no idea, and I don't either, of what's happening underground with the, uh, the seed of your obedience. And we want it all to be like cilantro, four to seven days. I want a result. But sometimes your obedience may not bear fruit for years. And you might think, well, that's not fair. And look, it feel, it, sometimes it doesn't feel fair. There was a, when God told Moses, when uh, God called Abraham, he told Abraham that he was going to send his family to this promised land. But then he tells Abraham it's not going to happen until like after you die and your whole ancestors are going to be in slavery for years. So Abraham obeyed even though he knew the fruit of his obedience wasn't going to be till way after his lifetime. And that doesn't make sense. One of, one of my wife's favorite statements from somebody she heard years ago was the statement, not all obedience makes sense. Because the parable Jesus tells about farmer plants this and he doesn't understand what's happening, but there will be fruit. So one of the hard things about hearing and responding is, doesn't make sense because I I, I want immediate results and sometimes we may get years down the road of your obedience and doing what God asks you in this situation may not have any fruit that you see even in your lifetime let alone maybe only a couple of years from now and then Jesus finishes with another parable or he talks about the mustard seed and this is again this is the same thing you can hear and respond even when it doesn't make sense the mustard seed is the smallest seed out there and technically it wasn't the smallest but he was using it as an illustration And he said, but when you plant this small mustard seed, it grows into this large tree, brings shade to the birds. And you might think, what does that have to do with hearing? And what Jesus is saying there, don't think any response of you to God is insignificant. It may be a small thing you think you're doing. And what Jesus is saying is, don't despise what you think are insignificant things that God's asking you to do. 
Because who's to say that that might not grow into a huge tree? And the way Jesus describes that is a tree that brings shade to others. You may not you may not think if God's asking you to give a neighbor of yours who or somebody who's hurting for money, you might give him five dollars. And that's a small thing. Don't despise the small thing you've just done, because God can take small things and make huge things out of them. Or you may feel like God's wants you to go just tell a friend of yours you want to encourage them because you know they're discouraged. You know, yeah, they want that. It won't matter. It's just a small thing. No, small things. When you hear and respond, even in those really small areas, you have no idea the impact. Mother Teresa probably had no idea that when she first got on a train to go to India to, to minister to lepers, she had no idea of the huge impact that would have on other people around the world, other poor people and lepers around the world. You could go through history, if you go through the Bible, of people who said yes to Jesus in little things, what seemingly were insignificant things, and became huge ways to bless others with the spirit of Jesus because of what that small would be. So don't think anything you're doing is insignificant. I mean, e- even for those of you, and I, we've, for those of you who come early to set up with chairs, which we're really grateful for, you're not doing an insignificant thing. Don't think what you're doing is insignificant. Darlene and some others get the coffee and donut holes every day, and you may think, well, what's the spiritual value of coffee and donut holes? A lot, not really. But you, you don't know. Darlene doesn't know the impact of her service in a small, insignificant way. So don't, don't despise anything God's asked you to do. Because Jesus said the kingdom of God is like that, It'll take what seemingly are small, insignificant things or people, and they become powerful avenues of blessing and joy to the world around them. So don't think that you're not important or what God's asked you to do is not important or don't think that little thing that God's seen you do is not that big of a deal. Do it. Obey. Because the king knows what he's doing. So do what the king asks you to do. That's really the whole brunt of this chapter four the kingdom of god is like these seeds blah 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 but the bottom line is do what the king asks you to do because he knows why he's asking you and he knows what will result if you obey him so let's pray